Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey y'all, welcome to the Daily Jungle. Wednesday down, hump day in the books, and it was a busy show. Some crazy NBA offseason moves, trying to make up for a mediocre postseason. You'll hear my take on Magic Johnson's first big move with the Lakers. Dwight Howard getting shipped to Charlotte for Marco Bellinelli and a Plumlee. Three excellent guests, too. We had NBA insider Sam Amick, light heavyweight champ Andre Ward, Arizona Diamondback David Peralta made it in under the wire. All of that and another smack off RSVP, this time from Caleb in Green Bay. So we've got a good one for you. Alvi, go ahead and let that thing roll. Now, I said it yesterday, and it's even more true this morning. There has been more action in the last week of the NBA offseason than in the two months of the NBA postseason here is a quick recap D'Angelo Russell headed to Brooklyn Timofey Mozgov headed to Brooklyn Brooke Lopez and a draft pick coming here to Los Angeles the Lakers are trying to work a deal for Paul George right now reportedly instead of waiting for him to sign as a free agent after next season Jimmy Butler wants to stay in Chicago Duane wants to stay in Chicago Dwight Howard and how do I not lead with that Dwight Howard Headed to Charlotte, the Clippers reportedly are shopping DeAndre Jordan. Phil Jackson is trying to burn the Knicks to the ground. Phil Jackson? Oh, 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 Alvie. He's trying to put the Knicks in the ground. Or get himself fired. Or both. Or maybe he really is just that bad at his job. And Kawhi cut off his braids. Now, normally, any one of those stories will leave the show and dominate the show. How busy was yesterday? Pau Gasol declining his option with the Spurs with the expectation of re-signing to clear space for a max deal that might be used for Chris Paul. That didn't even make a dent. Let me give you another example. D-Wade, a.k.a. Duane announced that he's picking up his $24 million option to stay in Chicago. And he took a break from posting pics of his trip to Florence and retweeting highlights from 11 years ago to bang out one of the saltiest tweets ever. And I quote, 18.3 points a game in 29 minutes on 43% shooting at 35 years old. If I'm 25 with the same numbers, I'm getting $150 million. Hashtag fading. Hashtag petty. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever seen somebody so bitter about collecting 24 mil. I mean, seriously, that should be a great day for Duane. He should be doling out smiles, not dump trucks of salt. My man, if you're explaining, you're losing, especially if you're justifying. So just stop it. It's like the worst kind of look. Good luck trying to convince anybody that you're underpaid at 24 mil for next season. Let's go back to Lakers for a minute. Let's talk about their move. D'Angelo Russell and Timofey Mozgov for Brooke Lopez and the 27th pick overall. That's a lot of movement for a deal that has nothing to do with the pieces involved. I mean, that deal is all about Lonzo Ball and Paul George and potentially another free agent to be named later. Shipping the former number two pick just two years after you drafted him is never ideal. But it's clear from the moment. It's clear from the moment that that Nick Young video dropped that as talented as Russell is, it was not going to work here in L.A. And there's no point in having both Russell and Ball when you can use Russell as a way to get something better. So this morning, tip of the cap to Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka. It's an aggressive move and it's a smart move. Get rid of Mozgov's contract, which is one of the worst ever, and clear up some cap space for Paul George. Clear up some backcourt space for Lonzo Ball. And then on top of that, bring in a 20-point-per-game center in Brooke Lopez, who's got just one year left on his deal. Nice work. Very nicely done by the Lakers. Now all they have to do is find a sucker to take Luol Deng off their books. And at the rate this week's going, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it in the next hour. As for Mozgov, there really is no way to understand how crappy a deal that was that Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak gave him. A horrible contract, 
for a decent enough guy, but a horrible contract for a guy who gave them almost nothing on the floor. That move alone should have gotten Buss and Kupchik fired, and it probably did. And you know, Laker fans are all pumped up about this, but I'm not sure that anybody is more pumped than Lopez himself. Let's not forget, in addition to being one of the best offensive big men in the game, this dude is a freak for all things Disney. He toured Shanghai Disney when it was under construction. He was building an off-season home at Disney World. And now he's going to spend the regular season right down the road from Disneyland. He was a big fan of Star Tours as a kid. He already has his dream job at Disney in mind. Either working Pirates of the Caribbean or the Haunted Mansion. And one of his recent posts on Instagram was, quote, What are people's favorite pirate, ghost, and doll from Pirates of the Caribbean? Haunted Mansion, and It's a Small World. I need to know at Disneyland. Hashtag important questions. Hashtag what keeps me up at night. So not only did this guy just escape from a crappy Nets team to a Lakers team with some buzz, but he's that much closer to the most magical place in the history of the world. Win, freaking win. And now the Lakers are positioned to make a run, possibly a Paul George and LeBron James. And if you ask me, the thought of LeBron or what will then be left of LeBron in a Lakers gamer is pretty freaking rich. The only thing richer would be if the Clippers somehow got LeBron. And then one more thought, as for Paul George, instead of waiting a year to sign him as a free agent, the Lakers reportedly are looking to deal for him right now, which to me is absolutely the right move. Get the guy now. Given that they don't have to give the Pacers what they want, that is. And apparently what the Pacers still want is that number two pick overall. Um, in a word? <laughs> nice try. Yeah, because that's going to happen. That's never going to happen. And the reason that's never going to happen is that Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak are gone. You want to give them the 27th pick, the 28th pick, and maybe a player like Julius Randle or Jordan Clarkson, fine. But the second pick is untouchable. And they're probably not going to get Brandon Ingram either. As for now, Rob Palenka and Irv are doing work. And I like what I see. In fact, I love it. Sam Amick is back. Sam, good morning. What's up? How are you? Romy, doing great. How are you, sir? Good, bud. Great to have you back, Sam. Thank you for doing it. You know, whatever, Sam, whatever the NBA postseason lacked in drama, the NBA offseason is more than made up for it. Before we start to get into all the details, what have the last few days been like for you? And what do you make of all this activity? It's wild. I was actually just kind of joking off air with your producer, uh, Adam, about how we say multiple times a year right now that it's the busiest time of the NBA season or the offseason or just the chatter and the buzz and the rumor. This is wild, though. I mean, the league obviously decides to move the draft up, and then the finals come to an unexpected premature end. And so, you know, once that happens, everything's in play when it comes to all these different executives from all 30 teams being able to pick up that phone and start getting to work. And that's been the case. And I saw an interesting article from Ben Cohen of the Wall Street Journal talking about how this is all the ripple effect of the Warriors and their domination, that this is we are already seeing some level of panic where teams are trying to explore anything and everything to try to cut down on that competitive gap. And to an extent, I kind of agree. I think that's playing a part here. But uh, potentially big moves and then the draft and all the different – Goings on there. We got a ton of action right now. Sam Amick, NBA insider for USA Today Sports, is our guest. All right, Sam, let me start with the Lakers. They trade D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov to Brooklyn for Brooke Lopez and the 27th pick in the draft. What do you make of what Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka were able to accomplish with that specific deal? I like it a lot. Um, I tweeted yesterday something praising the deal, and there were a pretty fair amount of folks on my timeline who certainly did not agree. And I think my takeaway would be this, and it's fine if folks don't see it this way. It, you know, it, for me, it reflects the degree to which I'm amazed that they got off of Mozgov's money. That was an albatross, just such an anchor for, you know, the, the worst kind of anchor for that team. And it was really getting in the way of their long-term building. And, and it still blows my mind that Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak gave that money to Mozgov a couple summers ago. Um, that's a huge deal to get off Mozgov's money. And I also... I know that D'Angelo Russ is only 21 years old, and maybe I'll eat crow down the road. But 
to, you know, what I had seen to this point, not only on the floor, but what you constantly heard off the floor in terms of the way he is wired, I was impressed. And, and I think that, you know, if you've got to use him as a vehicle to get off that kind of money and get yourself in a great spot for 2018 free agency and having a ton of cap room, I think that's good work. Yeah, I don't see the other side of that at all, Sam. I mean, maybe you put yourself out there before. Maybe I put myself out there before. But not in saying that that's a great deal for the Lakers because that is a great deal for the Lakers. The only thing more shocking than Moskov getting that deal in the first place is that the Lakers were able to unload him and that contract. So I agree with you. I love that deal. Clones, I need one minute so I can talk to you about Ferguson. Ferguson is the nation's largest distributor of plumbing products, but their playbook goes deeper than plumbing. Pro contractors know to depend on Ferguson for the best in waterworks, HVAC, and facilities maintenance products in the game. Ferguson has over 20,000 knowledgeable associates always working for you. Combine that with Ferguson's 1,400 locations and 24-7 online ordering, and you will always have the home team advantage. See why the pros pick Ferguson at ferguson.com today. That's Ferguson. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Now, do you think the Lakers will try to trade for Paul George to prevent him from going someplace else and maybe falling in love with it? Or are they going to bide their time and wait for him to come to L.A. as a free agent next summer? I think it's still hot. I think it's still something that could happen before tomorrow. And the sense around the league is definitely that they would love to wait, but they are a little concerned about the idea of Paul going somewhere else and and deciding that it's a good fit and then falling out of love with the Lakers before he ever gets there. The question is, at what price and how desperate is Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers GM who recently took the top job after Larry Bird stepped away? You know, what I was hearing today is that the Lakers would love to get that deal done with no more than Julius Randle and the 27 pick. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be enough for Kevin to pull the trigger, but there's a lot of pressure in this situation for him because – Paul's value is diminishing by the day. You know, he doesn't have much leverage at this point. Everybody knows kind of what's going on, how Paul feels. And, you know, I I think it wouldn't shock me to see that happen before tomorrow because then the the Lakers can start to, you know, just get that whole thing rolling with Magic connecting with Paul, you know, with Luke Walton, those guys. And they wouldn't be a very good team this year but they could start to get all the other pieces in place for the future. Sam Amick joining us. You know, Sam, that deal that you talked about, Julius Randle and the 27th pick, I do that all day long. If they ask for the other pick, the 28th pick, if you're the Lakers, do you make that trade, Randle and the 27th and the 28th for Paul George? It's hard. I mean, I think the only way I can answer that is I really got to know exactly where Paul's head is at. I got to look him in the eye and say, listen, man, we're on the same page here. We want to work together we want you to come to lakerland how patient are you going to be and also and we've talked about this before jim you know how much do you care about learning from the past mistakes of other superstars nobody more than carmelo anthony when he went from denver to new york and he was impatient he was worried about his money because the lockout was coming the nuggets got all kinds of Knicks assets and players that would have helped Melo a great deal when it came to trying to be a contender in new york and, and I feel like that's the cautionary tale that Paul and the Lakers need to learn from right now. That, you know, that 28 pick might seem like just, oh, let's just go ahead and throw it in, no big deal. But look at this last championship, two out of three for the Warriors. Draymond Green's a guy that got selected 35th overall. I mean, that, that's not nothing to have a late first-round draft pick. If you use it wisely, he could be a guy that's running with Paul a couple of years from now playing at a high level. Sam Amick, the host of the NBA A to Z podcast, is our guest. All right, Sam, across town, the Clippers have not been as busy as the Lakers so far, but they did officially add Jerry West as a consultant earlier this week. Jerry West himself would admit he thought he'd end his career with Golden State. So how did this idea for him to join the Clippers first come about? I think it's no more complicated than Steve Ballmer being a risk taker and a bold thinker. You see a guy like Jerry as somebody who's you know going to become part of your team, and the optics change when it comes to how your organization is viewed. So Jerry helps the Clippers in that regard. And then the Clippers benefit from the fact that unfortunately it, it kind of soured at the end between Jerry and the Warriors. You know, I think Jerry wanted to come back. He was given an offer to come back, but it was nothing near uh, from what I'm told what the Clippers offered. I mean, they're paying them between four and $5 million a year, which is pretty healthy to be a consultant. And so, you know, now going forward, kind of like I wrote, the question is, can Jerry land the biggest free agent fish there is LeBron next summer? They've got a really neat connection 
over the years have really grown to respect one another and and the Clippers are hoping that helps. Yeah, Sam, to that point, I mean, LeBron as a Clipper sounds absolutely crazy, <laughs> but how would you describe the relationship between West and James? It's legit. I mean, they're kindred spirits in, in the most painful kinds of ways, right? Because they both know more than anybody else what it feels like to lose so many times at the great, you know, on the greatest stage in the finals. Jerry was one and eight. Uh, LeBron now is three and five. And over the years, Jerry took on this role of defending LeBron at different times when the criticism would come his way. And I'll never forget being inside Oracle Arena last June. Warriors are up 3-1. Everybody's assuming the series is a wrap. And Jerry West is on the floor surrounded by 20 reporters essentially playing the role of, of LeBron James's agent or his publicist and telling the world that they need to back up when it comes to ripping on LeBron because he's an all-time great and it's a team game. And you felt like, as Jerry talked about LeBron, you felt like he was actually defending himself. He was talking about himself. And from there, it's grown. LeBron has read Jerry's book at least three times, West by West, his whole life story. Uh, he called him back in 2010 when he made that controversial decision to go to Miami. So they connect every so often. Uh, LeBron even has a nickname for Jerry. He calls him the Godfather. So, you know, it would be a hell of a Godfather move if, he got into L.A., and, and I'm with you. It would be pretty surreal to see him in a Clippers jersey. Sam Amick, NBA insider for USA Today Sports, joins us for a few more moments. All right, to that point, Sam, LeBron recently took a or recently did a video talking about Dan Gilbert, the Comic Sans letter, and what it took for him to go back to Cleveland. And one of the things that came up was the fact that his wife and his mother were not exactly fired up to return to Cleveland, but LeBron wanted to do it. Now that he's done it, and he's won a title, and Gilbert's done what he's done this offseason, how likely is it that LeBron will leave once again? It's feeling more likely by the day, and I, I'm surprised to be saying that this quickly. I didn't even necessarily have this storyline on my radar that much even two weeks ago. But all these pieces are coming together, at least for now, in the way that, that feel like they're pushing LeBron out of town. He's checked the box of winning a championship. That gives him kind of the, the cover, potentially, if he's going to leave. Now he's got even more cover because Dan Gilbert has decided to remember who he was before, and he's Dan Gilbert again. He's dysfunctional owner. He's doing things that don't make sense. You know, I tweeted a little bit ago a, a snarky remark about how the Rockets just gave Daryl Morey a four-year extension. Typically, when your GM does a good job with the organization, with the roster, three straight finals appearances for the Cavs, one championship, you give him an extension, and the man gets – kick to the curb along with his colleague who's also respected Trent Redden their assistant or their VP of basketball ops and it's just chaos now and it's the kind of thing that if you're LeBron it's just reminding you what concerns you the first time around and why you know partly why you left the first time around so the LA thing is very real as you know he's got a house out there he's got a ton of business out there he's in Hollywood doing movies you know I think eventually we probably see him there. We are talking to Sam Amick. Now, Sam, there's the Dwight Howard deal, which is really something. He gets sent to Charlotte along with the 31st pick for Marco Bellinelli, a Plumley, and the 41st pick. What do you make of that trade? Uh, so Atlanta hires Travis Schlenk, the Warriors' assistant GM, who does a really good job. Is was with the Warriors all the way back in the time when they drafted Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. From day one when Travis got to Atlanta, he looked at that big old financial number, that, that salary that Dwight was making, combined $47 million, I think, over the next two seasons, and essentially just shook his head and said, no, we can't do this. You know, I need to clear room. I need to play faster. I don't need to deal with a guy who's on the back end of his career who eventually is probably going to start being upset about touches and opportunity and time and all of those things. Travis wants to build. And so, you know, it was, it was pretty obvious from the get-go that he was wanting to part ways with Dwight. But I'm, you know, so in that regard, he gets the job done. On Dwight's side of it, I'm happy for Dwight because I actually think the Charlotte thing could be good. You know, he had a great connection relationship with Steve Clifford back when he was an assistant coach in Orlando. They were together during Dwight's best days. And what better guy than Steve right now to kind of help Dwight remember the good days, but also talk to him very frankly about where he's at in his career and try to have him get to a good place with Charlotte, I think it's a win-win. All right, so wrapping this whole thing up and kind of going back to what you started with, Sam, that a lot of this is happening as a response to Golden State and what they did and how good they are right now. 
Is there any team that can make any move or moves that could position themselves quickly, like next season, to make a legitimate run at Golden State, or is that just not there, and is that not going to happen? I mean, if I, you know, obviously the Cavs, it, it just looks like they're not going to be able to get anything done. You know, we're being told the Jimmy Butler thing is, is not going to happen. He sent the message to Cleveland that he would rather play in Chicago. I look at the Celtics, and I'm still watching and, and wondering what they're going to do. There's some rumblings that they're going to move the number three pick, and, and for what, I don't know. So if they say they move it for a legit star, uh, you know, whether they could get Jimmy Butler or Paul George, and then you lock up a Gordon Hayward or a Blake Griffin. You know, if you find a way to add two stars to that Boston team, in addition to what they did last year, I'm not going to pick them against the Warriors, but it would be intriguing, and certainly it would put them in a spot where they would be challenging LeBron and the Cavs next season. So I'd probably pick Boston with a whole lot of ifs in between there. Let's go to the phones right now. There's another RSVP. This guy has had success. Hasn't won it, but he's had success on the most important day of the year. He has shown up on the biggest stage and had a big day. We go to Green Bay, the Walrus, Caleb. Caleb, what's going on? Not much, Jim. What's going on with you, buddy? What's up? Good to hear your voice. Yeah, man. Uh, you're looking for RSVPs. I will be there on July 28th. I want the title, of course. I want the money, but mostly... I need some questions answered, questions that have been on my mind since the last smack-off, like, will Chael Sonnen sound like Barry Bonds, Betty Boop, or Alvin and the Chipmunks after roiding up for his Bellator fight? Will Chad in L.A. pre-record his call again this year? Will Stevie Carbone scream into the phone for 12 and a half minutes about the ESPN layoffs? But see, here's the thing, Jim. I know I'm not going to win the smack-off this year. I have the game to win. Hell, the only things that stand between me and having a championship already are Brad's average Bill Cosby impersonation and Mike and Chael's televangelist gimmick. But I know how this is going to go. See, Left showed up in the chopper two years ago. He finished his call from your studio last year. There's only one place left. I can picture it now. In second place, Caleb in Green Bay, which means that your 2017 smack-off champion is... Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Some mood music for the defending champ. Now he's feeling it. Then Left takes off his suit. And no, not his new David August threads. I'm talking about his custom Jim Rome suit that he got straight out of Buffalo Bill's basement. He puts on a little lipstick, maybe some mascara, sensually grabs the microphone, stares at Alvin Deloro and says, would you rack me? I'd rack me. I'd rack me hard. I'd rack me so hard. Then he grabs the five grand, struts down to the elevator, hops in his windowless van, and bumps goodbye horses all the way back home to Laguna. It was him the whole time. I'm not scared of you left, or should I say Jim Rome. I'm coming for the title. As always, on Wisconsin. There is another excellent RSVP. Caleb, see you on the 28th. Maybe before then, maybe not. Good to have you back. We are joined by Andre Ward. Andre, good to have you on. How are you? I'm good. It's an honor to be on the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Andre, it's good to have you. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Now, you beat Kovalev in November. All right, so what was your mindset? Andre, given how close the first fight was, what was your mindset going into the fight on Saturday night? Well, I knew the first time around, you know, I got a slow start, which is which is not normal for me. You know, I normally have a, you know, uh, a pretty good start early on, and then I pick it up as it goes. Um, and I and I give, you know, Sergey Kovalev credit for the start that he had the first time around. I got caught with a big shot, uh, but I, you know, got up and 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 actually got stronger as the fight went on. And when I when I viewed the fight, you know, I wasn't happy with the performance. I was happy with the way, you know, my team and I responded to adversity. Like I just said, I, I was happy we got our hand raised, but I knew I had a lot more left in the tank. We just needed to make some adjustments. So. Uh, the way that the fight played out Saturday night was exactly the way we thought it was going to play out in increments, and we were going to take his mind first, discourage him mentally, and then, and then physically, the physical part will follow. All right, lots of good things there that I want to follow up on. He's a two-division world champion, Andre Ward, joining us. Dean, it was another close fight, but then in the eighth round, you landed that right to the chin that really hurt him, and then you started to hammer away at his body. What were you seeing and feeling in that moment of the fight? Well, you know, the thing is, he's a 
a champion. You know, I mean, obviously he's not you know the literal champion because I beat him, but in my mind he's still a champion. He's a he's a champion caliber guy, champion caliber fighter. He he defended the belt before he fought me for you know six, seven, eight times. I mean, the guy is is really really good, and you know in a championship fight which twelve rounds. Sometimes a fight doesn't start until after the six. That's when you see how your preparation was, how your conditioning was. So I knew it was going to be nip and tuck early on um, in, you know, in hopes that I would pull away late. But the body work, the body work was important because um, in the second half of the first fight, I saw he couldn't do anything about the mid-range work that I was doing, the in-close work. It's just not the way he's trained. It's just not where he's comfortable so I wanted to pick up where I left off in the second fight. All right, now you point out that this is a guy that you respect. This is a guy who in your mind is a champion. He's an excellent fighter, but you also made the point that you felt that maybe his biggest weakness was his arrogance and the fact that yeah. he couldn't fathom you hurting him. So when you did start to hurt him, how did he react? Well, I knew that I, got, I had gotten to him in the first fight, you know, and it, it, it's very, you know, it's very intimate combat when you're fighting inside, you know. He's grunting, things are happening, you know, I can feel him, he can feel me. But we're fighters, you know, we're, we're athletes, we're world-class athletes. Nobody's going to concede anything publicly. But, you know, at the same time, I knew deep down, like, okay, I know I got to him several times, and, and I know that, you know, if I can follow up on this in the second fight, you know, I'll have some success. So um, I was able to do that. I heard him several times, you know, in the, in the early rounds. And, you know, I, I said it the week of the fight, even, even the headshots, you know, no one was thinking knockout, no one was thinking stoppage, and, and I didn't predict it. But I told everybody, don't be surprised if he gets careless, he can get caught. And that's what happened. And then, you know, he was on his way from there. All right, listen, the, the one guy who was actually thinking about a knockout or stoppage was your trainer, Virgil Hunter, which I'll get to in a minute. Mm -hmm. But one more thought, Andre, about the inside fighting where you were doing damage and you were having success. Now, some of his side would say that you were landing some low blows. I know you've heard that. What is your reaction when you hear that? I just think it's sour grapes, man. I think it's just, you know, it's just unfortunate because they did this the first time around. You know, I'll give them uh, the fact that it was a close fight. And, I, you know, I can understand them being upset that they didn't win. You know, I would be upset too. But they went on for four months about, you know, this conspiracy theory and that conspiracy theory. And it just, it just wasn't a good look. So this time around, I don't expect them to give me any credit. They're trying to mar the victory and, and mar the success we had Saturday night. And frankly, I'm just not going to get involved in it, you know, to the de to the degree that I did the first time. Um, if you look at the pre-fight instructions with Tony Week, who the rep who's a you know experienced referee, he pointed at both of our belt lines, both of our cups, and said, "You both are a little high. This is a legal blow." And you know, there were a couple shots that went on his belt line. I don't think anything straight below the belt line, but there were a lot of great body shots that were clear uh, and a lot of great head shots. And, and and for some reason, they don't want to talk about that side of it. So. It comes with the territory. You can't expect the other side to, you know, sing your praises. I know what we did in there. We executed and did what we had to do. So we're enjoying the victory. Okay, I was going to say, you, you're not surprised by it. You're enjoying the victory. Is there any part of you that feels vindicated and wants to say, all right, you had to say what you had to say after the first fight, but I just won again. So how do you all like me right now? It's a little bit of that. I, 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 it's just a little, just a little bit. Um, and it's not arrogance. It's just, you know, I'm a competitor. And, and, and he said some personal things about me, and, and I didn't take it personal from the standpoint of, you know, me disliking him, but there is a level of disdain. You know, you're, you're trying to come hurt me, and, and my job is to stop that from happening. So there's a, there's a level of, you know, dislike while we're in the ring. So, of course, you know, there, there's a part of me that, that, that feels like, okay, I told you guys. And, and, and now, you know, the way in which we did it, um, you know, I, I don't think they can have – I mean, they're going to have an argument, but the reality is if you really look at the, the totality of that fight, um, I didn't need any low blows to save me. We, we had taken over that fight in the sixth, seventh, eighth round, and the reality is, is, A, I think he had pretty much given up and was ready to go around the sixth or seventh round, and B, when Tony Weeks stopped the fight, you didn't see much of a rebuttal from, from Sergey Kovalev. Andre Ward joining us. All right, so back to your trainer, Virgil Hunter. He was talking <clears> about <throat> how you can knock Kovalev out. He was sending you text messages yeah. before the fight saying, you're going to knock this man out. And then after the fight, you said, I used to think he was crazy, but now I follow his lead because he ain't been wrong yet. End of quote. So how much of that knockout was about your mental approach and then how much about what you did physically? Well, I think, I think physically, you know, we, we pretty much did the same thing. We obviously made some tweaks, and, you know, you, you make mistakes. You say, okay, first camp we didn't do enough of this, or, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, we could do a little bit more of that. But it was more just a mentality. Okay, you need to be in this position and throw these kind of punches, 
and then you'll see the results that we want to see, which was a knockout. And the, and the key was not looking for it. You know, it wasn't going out there slugging with him every second of every round because then I put myself in a position to get caught. So it was more mental, just understanding that this can happen. And if you execute this game plan that I'm laying out, it will happen. You know, Andre, listening to you talk, I mean, it's very clear. You're a student of this sport. You're a technician. And you've talked about how you watch old fights on YouTube. Who are some of the yeah. guys that you like to watch? And what do you take away from the fights that you check out? Man, I, I watch a lot of guys. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, I watch an Aaron Pryor, you know. Uh, uh, I love watching the Aaron Pryor, Alexis Arguello fight. I think that was either in the 70s or 80s. Um, and that was more of a mentality fight. You have a, a Alexis Arguello who is a very skillful guy, very technically sound. But then you have this guy who's a brawler in Aaron Pryor, and his mentality that he brought to the table is something I take from him. You know, Sugar Ray Leonard is obviously a guy that, I, that I've watched for years. His charisma inside, outside the ring, he was a showman. You know, Floyd Mayweather, the same thing. You know, I look at Bernard Hopkins, a guy who is not the most skilled, but he did the best with what he had, and he's extremely disciplined in his preparation. So I can go on and on about different things that I take from guys. Sometimes it's a mentality that I'll take. Sometimes it's a specific punch. And sometimes it's a, it's a style. You know, I love a guy's style. And I'll say, hey, man, you know, I can implement that while still being myself. Preach. Preach. Now you're talking about my genre. Prior Arguello, Andre, was an amazing fight. I remember watching that fight live. It was absolutely incredible because Arguello was such an amazing boxer, technician. Yeah, and you're right, was. man. Prior was a brawler. He was a brawler. Mm -hmm. What about Hagler Hearns? Have you ever seen a fight like that before? I'm going to be honest. That is, it's funny you bring that up. That, that's a fight that I watched three days straight leading up to the fight. And I don't even know why. You know, it's just it, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll be in camp and I don't have a lot of time to do anything but train and rest. So things will pop in my head. I'll say, man, let me go look at this fight on YouTube. And that was a fight that I watched. And, it was again, it was just a mentality thing. You know, when I asked Bird, I said, you know, what made Hagler just go attack him like that? And he said he had to. There's no way you can sit on the end of a Tommy Hearns right hand and expect to be around long. And I knew it was the same situation with Kovalev. Like, I can't just sit on the outside and let this guy pepper me and have success like he did the first time around in the early rounds. I got to find a way to get inside and get inside early. And that's why you see me, you know, in the second fight, when the bell rang, just run out and meet him in the center of the ring. Like, that was intentional just to let him know that I'm here and also to, to you know, try to close that space as early as possible. Andre Ward joining us. I mean, I remember that. Now that you mention it like that, it makes perfect sense. But you and I can just keep talking about the old fights. Remember All the day time, long, man. Man, do you remember the time when Hagler fought Pepino Cuevas and he caught him with that one shot and he rocked him and then he cracked him mm -hmm. again and he went face first into the canvas? You remember that fight, that yep. knockout? yep. Face first knockouts are the worst, man. You never want to be a part of those. You'll be on the receiving end of those. It's hard to come back from those kind of knockouts. You know, when you talk about mentality, go back to Ray Leonard for one minute. The thing about Ray Leonard, he, he was always like this amazing athlete, and he was such a great fighter to watch. I mean, aesthetically, the guy was just so amazing with his defense and his hand speed. But I don't know that Ray Leonard ever got credit for the mentality and the heart. I mean, how many times yeah. did that guy, and back then when they'd fight in the 13th, 14th, and 15th rounds, how many times did it seem like he was out only to dig deep when you thought he had nothing left and find a way to get it done? You know, Ray Leonard probably didn't get a, get a lot of credit at all for his mentality. He's extremely mean. But it was, it was behind this, this you know, 1,000-watt smile that he had. And I think people misinterpreted that. Like, he was, he was who he showed that he was. He was charismatic. He loved people. He was a showman. But it's a switch that, that fighters have. And I, and I think it's similar with myself. You know, I can shake your hand and say, hey, man, hey, man great to see you. You know, and then turn that switch on and, and get in that ring and just be a different animal. And that's what Ray Leonard was. And he's a guy who, you know, I watch for all the reasons I just named. But also, he was a great finisher. If he got you hurt, you weren't going to get out. You weren't going to get out of the fight. You probably weren't going to get out of that round. And that just speaks to the meanness that he had uh, in the Killer Instinct. All right. So you're world champion. You're undefeated at 32 and 0. <laughs> so what's next? I mean, Virgil Hunter has talked about you maybe stepping up to fight Anthony Joshua at heavyweight. Is it something that interests you? I mean, I think right now it's twofold. You know, I have to, you know, uh, at this stage of my career, after every fight, you know, I got to assess where my body is. You know, like this whole week is just about, you know, recovery and, and, and getting my body back together. Like I'm, I'm nursing a swollen knee right now. You know, I'll be fine. But it's just these are things that yeah, obviously the, the, the general public don't see. So I got to assess the physical part. While I'm doing that, 
you know, my team's job is to go out there and look for opportunities. And at this stage in my career, you know, and it's not to big time anybody or anything, but I've earned the right, I think, just to have meaningful fights. So I think if it's not something, you know, like a cruiserweight fight or heavy, like I, it has to be something big and eyebrow raising or I don't, I don't know if it makes sense. So two things before you go. When you talk about opportunities, there are opportunities inside the ring, and then there are opportunities outside of the ring, including acting. So I'm curious, and as you point out, you got to take care of yourself, and you want to rest, and you want to recover. So are you going to walk away a little bit early, or are you going to fight until you can't fight anymore? What's the approach? I mean, I've always wanted to be a guy who retired from the sport and never allowed the sport to retire him. You know, I try to do a great job, you know, with my, my, my finances. You know, um, I try to make sure that all those things are – are in order and uh, because I know like I have a window you know and that's one thing that us athletes have to be aware of is you know it's not if it's when you're going to retire but what are you going to go home what, what is your wife going to have when you go home so are you just going to be uh, you know a shell of your former self because you know you left it all out there or are you going to be able to walk around and play with your kids until you're 70 80 years old and I want to be the guy who can play with his kids until he's 70 and 80 years old so I think I'll know when the right time is uh, but it's definitely something that's always on my mind. Andre, one last thought. You're from Oakland. You and Kevin Durant have become friends, and he was at the fight on Saturday. Yeah. He reached out to you on Instagram back in the day. How did that come about? Man, it was just, it was really, like, random. Like, you know, obviously I signed with Rock Nation, and there's a connection there, but that's not what, like, really connected. It's like he just reached out to me randomly uh, one time on Instagram. He direct messaged me, and, you know, and I was like, man, is this the real KD? Like, I'm showing my wife this message. And he was just like, bro, like, I respect you. I love the way you carry yourself. So he just sent all these things. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. And he's like, you're my favorite fighter. And he left his number. So I reached out to him. And, I mean, Kevin Durant, I've been around a lot of celebrities. Like, him and Marshawn Lynch are probably the most down-to-earth guys that you would ever meet in your life. You don't get the sense at all that they do what they do for a living. And uh, it just, we did a friendship, man. So, you know, he's going through the finals and the playoffs. I'm texting him, stay focused, bro, stay locked in. When my big moments come, he's doing the same thing to me. So to have those guys in the building, you know, when I was younger, it used to make me nervous to see celebrities and big guys like that in the building. Now I feed off of that stuff. When I know those guys are coming, man, it makes me want to show out and I go out there and put on a tremendous show. So it was great to have him in there. Game always respects game. Man, you're so good at this. I'm trying to cut you loose, but I, I keep thinking of things. <laughs> One last thing then. You, as an Oakland guy, you mentioned two of the best, but as an Oakland yeah. guy, who are some other Oakland athletes that you're connected to, you got respect for? Um, some of the guys, uh, like I, you know, Ricky Henderson, like we're not really close, but like I met him, I got a lot of respect for him. Um, who else? I mean, Steph's not a not a big guy. He's more of a transplant, but like me and Steph, you know, we got a relationship. Uh, Draymond, you know, some of the guys are homegrown, and some of the guys are 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 you know transplants, guys that have come here from from other places. So, um, Josh Johnson, the quarterback for the backup quarterback for for, for New York, you know, Marshawn's cousin. Um, you know, it's a lot of guys. It's a lot of guys, like I said, that are transplants, guys that are homegrown. And it's just a, it's a, the Bay Area is an interesting place because it doesn't matter whether you're from here or whether you play here. Um, guys just rally around each other. You know, I don't know what that is, but, you know, guys don't big-time each other. We get together. We talk. Like I said, we, we exchange numbers. And, and we go. We literally go to each other's events and support each other. So, uh, it's just a beautiful thing, man, and I, I'm just happy to be named amongst those guys and to be named in that number, man. Yeah, you, you, laid, you laid that out perfectly. That's exactly what I was getting at. You guys do have each other's back. It's like that no-cal, no-Bay Area family. My man, I knew it would be good, but you lived up to all the hype on the program. Andre, congrats to you, and it's great to have you on. Great interview, Jim. I appreciate you, buddy. If you want to talk about Dwight Howard, let's go ahead and do that because there is Dwight Howard over there in the corner. Dwight David Howard. Getting governmented for all the wrong reasons. Eight-time All-Star. Three-time Defensive Player of the Year. Five-time rebounding champion. Slam dunk champion. Olympic gold medalist. One of the most dominant players in the game. And that guy with that resume was just shipped to Charlotte for Marco Bellinelli, a Plumley, and a swap of second-round picks. In other words... If you can haul it, you can have it. That's the proverbial sofa left on the side of the road for anybody who wants it. That's a former eight-time All-Star being traded for a 31-year-old journeyman guard and the second-best Plumley. That's not a trade. 
That's a fire sale. That's a dump. That's a move you make when you just want to run a guy out of town, which means now that Dwight is on his fifth team in seven years. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that that return to his hometown did not go according to plan. So let me ask you this. I'll bring you into this discussion. What was your favorite moment of Dwight's time in Atlanta? Was it when he was a non-factor in the playoffs? Or when he was pulled over for doing 95 in a 65 in the early morning hours before Game 6 of the Wizards series? Or was it the recent report that he was working on his three-point game? Because nothing makes more sense than a 56% free throw shooter spotting up from beyond the arc. Nope, not me. The greatest moment of the Dwight Howard Atlanta Hawks era had to be last night itself. Because the only thing more Dwight Howard 2017 than getting traded for a guard and a Plumley was what happened on Twitter last night. You see, the big fella hopped on Twitter to have a Q&A with fans about NBA moves. He said, quote, Okay, Twitter fans, give me your thoughts, trades or otherwise, and remember to be nice. That's the tweet. Then some nine minutes later, Woj tweets, and I quote, Sources, Charlotte is sending Miles Plumley, Marco Bellinelli, and a 41st pick to Atlanta for Dwight Howard and 31st pick. In other words, Dwight went on Twitter to have a little Q&A with the fans about prospective moves, and then just minutes later, he himself was moved. And of course, the responses to his tweet were pretty much exactly what you'd expect. Here's a sampling. Don't suspend me, tweeted. Dwight, what do you think of your trade? Pistons15 tweeted, you just got traded for a Hot Pocket and a Gatorade. Twin Kane tweeted, now that you've been on 63 teams in seven years, do you regret single-handedly destroying the Orlando Magic franchise and getting Stan Van Gundy fired? Campaign Camo tweets, how does it feel to be talked about being traded while talking about other players being traded? And Mike Larry tweeted, will this trade to Charlotte make you any less trash? But credit to Dwight, he still did answer one question about trades. One person on Twitter asked him, quote, Dwight, what do you think of the Paul George rumors? Where do you think he's going? And Dwight responded with, quote, he has so many great options, tough to call. End of quote. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's the kind of insight you can only get from a real insider. The type of insight you can only get from one of the best bigs in the game. Glad you were able to open up like that with your fans on Twitter, Dwight. So, did he know he was going to be traded and just found out or not know and then just found out in the middle of his impromptu Q&A? Can you imagine that? Like he didn't know and then he found out while he was online. Or did he know that he was about to be dealt and still jumped on Twitter to talk trades. With anybody else, I would say there's no way he knew and that he found out in the worst way possible. But then again, with Dwight, anything's possible, right? This is the same guy that was pounding the equivalent of 24 candy bars worth of sugar per day and was still productive in the NBA. So anything is possible with him. Honestly, this is not the worst thing ever for Dwight. He's going to a coach in Steve Clifford who worked with him in the past and has been able to get some good things out of him. Maybe Clifford can work another miracle. Maybe he can turn back the clock and get back to the Hall of Fame level again. But the flip side of that is, while Steve Clifford is his coach, Michael Jordan is his owner, and something tells me that Jordan will not find Dwight even remotely amusing. Good luck, Dwight. You're going to need it. And if you know what's good for you, you'll put down both your phone and those 20 Snickers that you planned on crushing in the next hour or so. David Peralta is my guest. David, it's good to have you back, man. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Good, good. Now, you had a big game last night in that loss to Colorado. I know, David, yeah. the result is not what you wanted, but as a guy who's famous for bringing so much positive energy and fun, how much fun is it to be playing intense, pressure-packed games like this in June? Oh, that's that's really exciting. That's really good. I like. I mean, last night was a was a great game. I mean, we came back and 
we went ahead to the game and then they came back and that was like the crowd was really crazy. That's what I mean. I like that excitement, but I mean, it was a tough laugh for, uh, for us. But it's part of the game, you know. We're just gonna be ready for today, and and we still got two more uh, two more games left, so we can we can still win the series. David, when I spoke with you last year, we talked about your amazing journey to the majors, starting as a pitcher and then coming back as a hitter, playing independent ball, which included time working at McDonald's. The fact that Andy Green, your manager in the minors, said that telling you that you were going to be big was the highlight of his career. I mean, do you still get pumped and excited every time you go to the ballpark? Oh, yeah, of course. That's why, I mean, that's why if you always see me play, I always smile, I was happy because that was a dream. You know, I'm just living my dream right now. And how can you be like, upset or not being happy to come every day to the ballpark and play the game that you always dreaming to play every day so so for me it's like uh just being blessed and and for all this situation that i went through i mean it's paying off right now i never give i never thought like hey i'm gonna quake baseball because no i never crossed my mind because i was all i wanted to do is play baseball so i had to go through a lot of situation i guess to to you know, to prove that I can play. So right now I'm here with the D bats and thank you for the opportunity. The D bats give it to me and believe in myself. So you proved it your top ten in batting. Now last month you were mic'd up before a game and of course the idea behind that is you can go to talk to your teammates and the viewers get an idea of what it's like to be inside, except that nobody on the team wanted to talk to you because they knew that you were mic'd up. So you're all over the field, <laughs> you're working it, man, you're being friendly and nobody wanted to talk. What was that like? <laughs> They knew it. They knew it. they were doing it on purpose because I mean I always talk with everyone. I'm always like trying to have fun to get everybody like hey pumped out like, and all this stuff. So the day before I told them like hey I'm gonna get a microphone and everything. I'm so excited, and they were okay. That's fine. So nobody wanted to talk to me. I was like wow, what a teammate. <laughs> but it was really fun. That was really fun. I was trying to get some people to talk to me so at least you know nothing no one no one i said okay i see how it is so i soon the microphone was off they started talking to me hey what's up david how you doing i said oh, i don't want to touch anyone okay you guys are about teammates <laughs> but uh, that, was, that was really fun that was really fun it was fun it was fun to watch david peralta joining us for a couple of more moments you know you and i have talked in the past about the role that your father had in your transition from being a pitcher to becoming a hitter. So how much of an impact did both your father and your mother have in where you are right now? Well, I think that's the main thing for me, like the, the support of my, of my family, my mom and my dad, and then the support of my wife too when I moved back here to the United States. So I think that's a really important when you have your family, because for, for every player, like when you got the, even for a Latin player, like when we got the, the you know, call to the office and say, hey, we just have to release you because it's not working anymore. That's the worst news that you can ever have. So the thing that you have to go back to the country, like, hey, very disappointed and everything, but my family, as soon as I had that news, my family was like, hey, don't worry. They will support me like 100%. Hey, we're going to try something different and all this kind of stuff. And and for me, that, that keep myself like with my head up and telling myself, like, okay, I got the support, the best support of the world, which is my family, my mom and my dad. And then when I moved back here to the United States, I got the support from my wife. And that was amazing. I think that was the reason. They're the reason that I'm here where I am right now. David, obviously you're from Venezuela, and I've only got about a minute because, unfortunately, we couldn't get you any earlier in the segment, but can you shift Sorry, for just one fault. minute? <laughs> now you, right. Can you talk, though, that your country's going through a very tough time right now. How difficult is it for you to watch from afar, and how do you balance what you need to do on the field when you've got that concern about what's going on at home? It's, it's not easy. Uh, to be honest, it's not, it's not easy. You see so many stuff on, on social media and everything, the news. And from my, I heard from friends, families, they're over there. It's really tough. I mean, Venezuela is going through like really tough time right now. The only thing we can do is pray. I pray every day for my family. I pray every day for all the Venezuelan people. They, we, we wish or we hope everything's going to be better. But at the same time, I was telling myself, okay, you probably, when you step in the, in the clubhouse or the stadium, you have to leave your personal problems outside and stay focused what what you want to do and what you're going to play and how you're going to play or what are you going to do to help your team to win. Since Casey pretty much started this thing in Bo's eyes, he deserves the right to finish it. Let's go to Nashville. Bo, what's going on? How are you? Ron, what's good, my man? What's good, Bo? 
Hey, look, first of all, man, I got to give you some props, dude. I didn't even know you had that flow like that, right. man. You sick with it with Thank the you, flow, man. man. Thank you. About time somebody gave me some credit for it. Thank you. <laughs> That's what's up, Rome. So, look, man, you get player points for life, man. Your player card will never get re- revoked, man. But, look, I'm in a good mood today, Rome. But yesterday, your man, Alvin, was so cool, man. But I had to do some AT- AT&T work, man. Shout out Jerry Jones, man. So, I called back today. And your hour number one ever said, Bo, we got so many phone calls, man. Call back in an hour two because he know I'm bringing some heat. So let me get to this dude, man. KC. I'm going to come up with another name for you later on because KC, you're doing my man KC from the Sunshine Band injustice by having his nickname, Playboy. So I'll get back to that later. You said you got good cable. Okay. You're probably still looking at Beta, VHS. Ain't no telling, man. But I'll get back to that later, too. You refer, you made a reference for, to me with some Manti Teo stuff. There we go again, man. Bad business. Insensitive. Player points revoked. You'll never be a player, playboy. So, look, you the type of dude that probably got a phone and got about four contacts in it. Your best friend from the fourth grade. Two family members that probably don't want to deal with you and probably hit decline every time you call. And Rome's 800 number. The only reason Rome and Rome probably answered your phone call because he know you're a human pinata for people like me. You're barking up the wrong tree, boy. Don't shoot no shots at me because you know I'm shooting back. But look, let's get back to this right here, man. You, with your cable situation. I'm so much in a good mood, like I said, Rome. Probably tomorrow, I'm going to come down there and roll up in the black photo kissing no Lincoln with the tent on it with my man Alvin driving. Gangster V, businessman in the back seat, and my man Rome in the front seat with the sunglasses on. They're going to drop me off. They're going to slowly and quietly pull off. I'm going to knock on your door, man. I'm going to have that AT&T hat on, and you're going to look out the top of your window with the door. You see that AT&T hat, you're going to be so happy to get some real service. You're going to open that door, and you're going to see a 6'6 dude with the Pecorini gold tinted outfit on with the Jason mask. You're probably going to be scared, man, running like a little girl to the back door. That's what I'm going to whack your ass and trip you with the hockey stick and step right over you like Allen Iverson did to Ron Lou and look down on you and one time your ass straight to the front lawn. By that time, my man Alvin going to pull up quietly. Gangster, I mean, my man uh, Gangster V going to open the back door for me and I'm going to push your ass in the back seat and Alvin going to GPS it. Straight to the Pensacola City Dump. And we're going to get to the City Dump. Rome going to look back at it and pull them shades down and just give me the nod not say nothing. And that's what I'm going to pull up and whack your ass with them two Smashville catfish and roll your ass out and leave you at the City Dump. Rome, keep it pimping, man. Tell this little boy, man, stop running up on grown folks. Stay on the porch, little boy. And by the way, you ain't KC. You lame, see? Holla at you, Rome. Keep it pimping, playboy. Rack him. Boy, Nashville. Casey, man, just stay down. Just stay down. You're dead anyway. Just stay down. Just stay down. Hey, y'all. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it so much. Now, do what you do and just trust that podcast and check back here tomorrow for more Daily Jungle. Ah! Seven years up in the pros, in case you didn't know, professional. Four teams, I made my dough. If you didn't know, now you know. ATL, let me go. Five teams for real dough. I still can't make my throws. No matter what, I'm still a champion. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.